asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I'm Matt. And today, we're answering your listener questions. Yeah. So listener questions, we're actually going to answer uh, 12 of them this time. What? Uh, you know, normally we do five, but <laughs> this is going to be like That's a three hour long podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're going to cover uh, some house hacking. And actually, if you don't know uh, what that is, stick around because we'll talk about that. A listener has a question about, as parents, like how should we be teaching our kids about money? And a uh, question too about business banking, you know, business checking account. What our thoughts are, maybe the best places to go for that. So I'm looking forward to uh, answering those plus a couple others. Sounds good, buddy. Looking forward to it. Before we dive into the listener questions, though, I wanted to let you know that you know one of our first episodes, Matt, we talked about the potential of doing an Airbnb, both of us, in our backyards. Yeah, yeah. You were thinking about an Airstream I was. Uh, in your backyard, and I was. I was thinking about digging out the crawl space, essentially, under my house because it was... By hand, you said. Yeah, by hand, because I have plenty of time on my hands, and that's something I could do, right? And not enough dirt on them, <laughs> so that's why you're exactly. going for it. But it turns out... That, that was episode two, by the way. That, oh, golly. That, yeah, yeah. that was so long ago. Yeah, dos. <laughs> and you failed, I will say, on digging out your own basement. Yeah, I did not dig it out by hand, but... You uh, hired someone to yeah, do Yeah, we, we did something that, that, that's going to work out for us. And you, did you get the Airstream? No, I didn't <laughs> get the Airstream, so I, too, mega fail. But now I'm looking at a, an accessory dwelling unit. The city of Atlanta in, in 2017 passed a law that allowed folks to essentially build permanent tiny houses in their backyard. So it can't be on wheels, it can't be on a trailer, 
but a permanent tiny home is allowed in the city limits. And so I'm looking to build uh, one of these ADUs in my backyard. I met with someone today and I'm really excited. Uh, yeah, fill me in. What did uh, So who showed up and what did they tell you? So this guy's an architect and he works with the ADU company that, that essentially it's like a Sears and Roebuck guide. They have three different plans nice. that you can build. Uh, and so you don't have to go through this whole long process of figuring everything out, materials and all that. They've got a couple built and they've got great pictures so you can see exactly what it's going to look like. And by uh, Sears and Roebuck, what you mean is back in the 20s and 30s, you could buy these pre-designed homes and they would literally send everything that you needed to build your home on a train car like yes. like a and it would show up to like your local depot and you would haul it to your house and build it yeah now it's 100 years later <laughs> but this style this uh ability to create something in this fashion still remains and so i love that because Was it also in a catalog by the way you know like a no it's an online catalog would be, right it's a website cool, yeah <laughs> but it's really cool they it's just three basic options that are, have been just well designed and the pricing is is straightforward and so yeah it's really cool I'm, I'm looking forward to getting the ball rolling on this so no airstream for me but something a little more permanent and i think that's going to be great for the value of my house over time and also just the ability to to bring in some revenue too. Yeah. So you said get the ball rolling. Have you decided that you're going to do it 100% or are you still kind of kicking it around? Like what percentage are you for sure that you're thinking about doing this? See, I was pretty high. I think in episode <laughs> two about the Airstream, I probably said like 90% because I'm an optimist and I think everything's going to happen. But I'm pretty sure on this one, I think we're going to make I think we're going to make it happen. But we'll see. I'll keep everyone up to speed. Nice, man. I'm excited uh, to see how that progresses. And uh, you, you are uh, 100% on your Airbnb now. Yeah, 100%, but it took me long enough, right? What we decided that we needed to do was not dig out space, but actually add on to our home. It's something that we were wanting to do anyway. And so what Kate and I were able to do is we figured out a plan where we extended the back of our house a little bit, and then we were able to finish out the space below that for our Airbnb. And so, yeah, you said 100%. That's because the Airbnb is up and running. It's live. Yeah, man. The thing is live. Gosh, it was a lot of work, a lot of hard work. But we've already had tenants down there. We actually have our second set of guests there in the apartment right now. We're going to do a full episode on the Airbnb kind of maybe in a couple months after we've had a little more experience. So yeah, you can, got your systems down. Exactly. And you have a lot to share with folks. Because that's what we don't have right now are our systems. And what that means is that everything feels like we're putting out fires because these are all things that we've never done before. We're being asked things that we don't necessarily have answers to. And so I'm looking forward to getting to that point to where it's basically on cruise control. We have our systems in place. And I think that'll be fun to, to share with our listeners as well. Yeah, that'll be super fun. And what if some of our listeners, when they come to Atlanta, actually want to stay at your yeah. Airbnb? Is that possible? Dude, totally possible. We'll put a link to the uh, Airbnb listing uh, in the show notes for this episode. But, you know, you live right down the street. And so if I'm not here, maybe you can let folks in and uh, have a beer with somebody. I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to do it. <laughs> and by the way, speaking of beer, the beer that we're having on the show this week is called Oki. It's an imperial brown ale aged in oak whiskey barrels by Prairie Artisan Ales. And our good friend Abe actually donated this beer. He wanted us to have this on the show. So that was sweet of him. Yeah, you know, what's funny actually is that Abe, he's one of the ones that got me really thinking about the Airbnb because they have a basement that they rent out and, you know, they're able to cover their mortgage with the money that they make on Airbnb. Which is impressive. Like, totally impressive. How man. good does what, that feel? What a house hack. Speaking of house hack. We're getting into it, right? Yeah, we'll get into that in just a second. But Matt, let's actually get to our first question of this episode. And real quick, if you're listening and you want to submit your own question, you can do that at our website. Just go to howtomoney.com slash ask. And there's simple instructions there for you to leave your question for us to potentially answer on the show. So let's get to it. Hey, Matt and Joel. This is Adam from Atlanta-ish. And my question for you today is, is it ever a good idea to buy a new car? 
I ask because my parents have always bought new cars, but they end up keeping them for about 15 years. So I was wondering if they're actually coming out ahead or if just no matter what, it's a bad decision. Thanks. All right, Adam. First, Atlanta-ish. That's really funny because Atlanta is this just majorly sprawling town. Mega city. And so there are kind of these dividing lines from people sometimes that live in actual Atlanta or people that live outside of Atlanta. And usually the the dividing line in our city is the perimeter. It's the Highway 285. The loop. Yeah. So people say, I'm ITP or I'm OTP inside the perimeter or outside of the perimeter. And uh, so it sounds like Adam is OTP. Massive turf wars. It's led to a lot of issues, you know, within the city. Uh, But but you know what? (laughs) We're not into that. So we can be be friends with Adam. It's totally fine. I feel like most folks who aren't from Atlanta, if you live anywhere near Atlanta, even OTP, even outside the perimeter... You just say Atlanta and folks are like, oh, okay, that's, I know where that is, right? Totally. I know when I went off to school and anybody that was basically anywhere near Atlanta would just say, yeah, I'm from Atlanta. And then you ask specifically, cool, where in Atlanta? And And it might be 45 minutes outside. And they're like, oh, I live in Jonesboro or I live in Marietta, right? Yeah. Folks who live actually in or around Atlanta can distinguish like where in the actual city. But for most folks, Adam totally lives in Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah, no (laughs) doubt. All right. So let's get on to Adam's question. Is, Is buying a new car ever okay? And Adam, I feel like actually what you described your parents doing is the best case scenario for buying a new car. If you buy a new car, but you're going to keep it for 15 years, well, that's actually not a terrible decision. That's that's not a bad move. You've got smart parents. I feel like the problem with buying a new car typically is that massive depreciation hit that people take in the first few years, in the first three to five years, and then they decide to sell it when they get bored with it. And that's when buying a new car is a terrible mistake. But if you're going to keep it for a long period of time, then buying a new car really isn't all that bad of an idea. Yeah, it's not that you're paying less, but you are kind of spreading that hit over you know many more years. And a lot of people like to know what issues they might have with their car. And so buying something new, knowing that they're getting it fresh with the warranty, knowing what's gone into it, the maintenance and all that stuff, they feel better about buying new. And I completely understand that sentiment. Yeah. And as far as depreciation, you know, you mentioned this, Joel, like when you take that big hit, what really hurts is when folks are sort of in this perpetual cycle where they're buying new vehicles frequently and they're not losing tens of thousands of dollars once but they're doing it with every single car purchase maybe every couple years and with new cars being so incredibly pricey these days you're losing a ton of money like the average new car costs these days about $36,000 that's a ton of money when when you're looking at maybe losing 10% just from driving it off the lot and losing another 10% that first year you're looking at losing close to 20% of the value of the vehicle within the first year that you own it that's just terrible. <laughs> and that's probably why I may never own a new vehicle myself is just because I don't know if I can mentally get around that hurdle. Yeah, just stomach that oh, sort of depreciation. Yeah, that's a lot. I completely agree. Like I have a hard time imagining the day that I buy a new car. I just can't personally stomach that sort of depreciation hit, even if I did keep it for 15 years. So I, I, I think you're still parting with that money. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah. That, that's what we're getting at is like, it's, it's great that you're kind of spreading that depreciation out over 12 to 15 years but you're still paying for that car. (laughs) Yeah. So I would say ultimately still the best case scenario, if you're willing to keep a car for a long time, is to buy a three to five-year-old car and then keep that car for 12 to 15 years. Then you're buying the car at essentially half half the price that you would find it uh, brand new on a dealer lot. And you're keeping that car for an extended period of time. I mean, that is really a, a sweet spot of car ownership. But we would say if you have the money flexibility to buy a new car 
and you are going to keep it for a really long time, well, feel free to do so and don't feel guilty about it. If that's a conscious choice and where you want to prioritize your spending, then have at it. Yeah, but some good rules of thumb though uh, to keep in mind are just don't finance the new car. Uh, make sure that you're paying uh, for the vehicle in cash because you, you're already going to take a big hit financially. Just make sure you're not paying even more for it because you're putting money towards interest. That's one thing to keep in mind. Another thing is to not spend more than 10% of your annual income towards a new vehicle purchase. And I know for a lot of folks, that might be a tall order, right? Like that's going to sound a little bit extreme because let's say if you're making $60,000, 10%, you're looking at a $6,000 vehicle. And there are a lot of people driving around, Joel, who have cars that cost more than $6,000. On that type of salary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. But we just think you should not dedicate more of your income, more of your monetary resources towards a point A to point B transportation. And if someone making $60,000 buys a $32,000 car, then way too much of their annual income, they're shelling out towards that car every year. And so yeah, I think that 10% rule of thumb can just be really helpful as a quick gauge for how much you should be spending on your car if you want to maintain enough money flexibility to invest and save at the same time. Yeah, well, that's what's so key, right? Is that we want to make sure that you're putting money towards retirement and putting money basically towards things that are going to make you money because they are appreciating. And that's what I have such a hard time with when it comes to vehicles is that all they do, unless you are a rare car collector, <laughs> uh, but all they do is drop in value, right? Like there are very, very few vehicles out there that go up in value. And the other thing they do is they sit idle 97% of the time. Right. So that's, I think, one of the other things that you have to keep in mind is that your highly priced automobile is sitting in the driveway at home or it's sitting in the parking deck at work or the parking lot, wherever you... Like, it sits there so much of the time and yet you're paying for it every minute that you own it, even when it's sitting idle. Yeah, cars are the worst. I, I, like, I can't wait until we have robot cars that are all part of the, the network or the cloud. I don't know. And then they just show up to pick you up to go somewhere. Completely, where we don't actually have to own them ourselves. Yeah, just like iRobot, where Will Smith is, is riding in the fancy Volvos and uh, you know you don't have to worry about it. You can just do whatever. We love Will Smith movies, don't we? <laughs> oh, well, that's right. Independence Day, uh, iRobot. What yeah. else? A lot of them. <laughs> but still nothing better than Fresh Prince of Bella. Can we say that? <laughs> that's true. But to sum it up, I think for Adam, buying a new car, if you keep it for a long, long time, is not a terrible move. Yeah, it's not terrible. You could be doing better things with your money, but as long as you are also putting a good amount of money into assets that are appreciating and growing, then I guess we're okay with someone buying a new vehicle. All right. Wow. Not something we say terribly often, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was a great question, Adam. Thank you so much. And right after the break, we're going to get to a question about house hacking, which we haven't really talked about on the show before, surprisingly. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. 
Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it. Minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. All right, Joe, we are back now. Let's hear from Sally. Hey guys, my name is Sally. I'm from Los Angeles, California. I just purchased my first property and it's a duplex for my primary residence as well as rental income. I was wondering what kind of documents and receipts should I be safely keeping and what kind of tax benefits will I be able to take advantage of? I love the show and would appreciate any insight. Thanks so much. So Joel, you picked this question because her name's Sally and that's the name of your little sister, right? I have an affinity for uh, ladies named Sally. I guess so. Because truly, my (laughs) little sister is one of my all-time best friends. Well, and she's the one that you mentioned recently who you are riding to work with. You you both have your bikes. And so do you feel like y'all have actually gotten closer uh, since y'all have been kind of biking together? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've always been really, really close. But yeah, just doing something like that together has been really fun too. So yeah, I like Sally already. (laughs) All right. Well, Sally, you know, she mentioned how she's house hacking. That is awesome. You've got yourself a duplex. That is one of our favorite ways uh, to start buying real estate. You know, start building wealth. Yeah, exactly. You can lower your monthly bill for housing and that allows you to save more and build wealth at the same time. And by the way, 
I think we need to just quickly define the term house hacking. Oh, true. For folks that haven't heard it, any way in which you're using the house that you buy, whether it's a duplex or triplex or even just a single family home to create income for yourself, you're house hacking. And like Matt just said, house hacking is one of the best ways to lower your overall cost of housing. And it starts this domino effect that is going to help you build wealth over the coming years. And so Matt, the first house I bought was a single family home, but I rented a room out inside of it. To someone you knew. To someone yeah, I knew. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> no rando <laughs> off the street. And then it just made it so that... You did it by the night, right? Like so anybody could just show up and like pay 20 bucks and they've got a room. Yeah, I had a little neon sign. <laughs> I like, vacancy. Actually sounds kind of romantic. Kind of like old timey, you know, like I, a... I, I do love neon signs. Like you could serve cocktails and be like, come on in, you know, a room and board. It's not that fancy. Well, not board, I guess. Just a room plus a drink. Room and a drink. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like you're serving up downstairs. Yeah. But yeah, having that roommate just considerably lowered my costs of housing, allowed me to save even more and buy the next house and then rent out the house that I was living in. And so yeah, house hacking, Sally, is just the best. So congratulations to you on making that happen and, and getting the ball rolling on that. Okay, Sally, let's go ahead though and answer your actual <laughs> your question, which is you're asking about receipts and you know which ones to keep. And we would say to keep all of them. You want to make sure that you're documenting what repairs and improvements that you're making to the house and to make sure that you're keeping good records of what you make in rental income and what you spend. Uh, you want to be able to, at the end of the year, on your taxes, to be able to deduct money that went towards that rental property. Yeah. Costs associated specifically with your side of the unit are not tax deductible. So if you replace a toilet in the half that you live in, no tax deduction for that. You can depreciate expenses and repairs of the portion of the home that you're renting out. So assuming that the duplex is 50-50, half on each side, half of your property is treated as a traditional home and the other half is treated as an investment property for your tax purposes. Joel, I like your toilet uh, example there because that's very clear cut, right? If there's a toilet on your side, Sally, yeah, you can't deduct it. But the toilet on the rental side, 100%, you can deduct that. But when it comes to things that are shared on the house, for instance, a roof, Again, assuming this is a 50-50 split duplex, guess what? You can deduct half of the cost of that roof against the money that you earn on that rental side. That being said, we're not tax professionals. And there are some few instances where it kind of gets a little bit tricky, right? Specifically, I'm thinking of mortgage interest because uh, originally, if you have a traditional house, you can deduct 100% of the mortgage interest. But when you're splitting it like that, half of it you would be able to deduct personally, and then the other half would have to go towards the rental. But what that means is that you personally, you may not actually hit that standard deduction. And so there are implications when it comes to deducting certain things that you need to consider. And that's when a tax professional would most definitely be able to walk you through all those, those nuances when it comes to deductions. Yeah. So some of it kind of straightforward, other parts of it, not as easy. And I, I do agree, Matt. I think having a tax professional on your side that is well-versed in this would be really helpful. And so I would look for somebody locally. I'd ask another local real estate investor friend, hey, who are you using to help you file your taxes? Yeah, totally. And finding a CPA who does tax, who has specific knowledge when it comes to real estate investing would be just a, a great help to you, I think. And hopefully this is just the beginning for you. This is the first property they can grow with you for the coming years as your investment property portfolio grows too. And until you are able to talk to a tax professional, it might be helpful as well to look at Schedule E, which breaks down all the different expenses associated with uh, rental properties. Um, and so, you know, that can get you thinking about the different expenses that you have, what kind of categories they might fall into. It kind of gets you going down that path. And that would definitely make it a lot easier when it comes time to getting all your numbers together for your tax professional. 
you know what else would make it easy, Joel, too? Is if you digitize your receipts. You are a big fan <laughs> of digitization. Well, you know why? Because the IRS is super weird. Like they're incredibly antiquated. And if you ever get audited, they want to see proof of paper receipts. If there ever was a paper receipt, they want to see proof of that. Even though lots of our purchases these days are digital and online, if it was a purchase done in person, they want to see proof of paper receipts. Which so, I got to tell snap you, a pick. when's the last time you accidentally kept a receipt in your pocket for like two weeks? The way they print them on that paper, oh. it's like magic disappearing <laughs> ink right there, man. Like the, it does disappear. Those receipts don't last very long. So yeah, that's definitely antiquated. Well, Sally, hopefully you found that uh, information helpful. Joel, why don't you go ahead and hit play on our next question. Hi, guys. Really love the podcast. Um, my name is Will Rainey. I live in Hong Kong, but from the UK. A couple of joint questions. What was your experience of money when you were growing up? What did your parents kind of teach you or save for you? And then my second related question is, what do you believe that parents should be doing for their children in terms of saving and teaching their kids about money? Thank you. Will, thanks for your question. And Matt, is this our first international question? Ooh, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know, but I like Will's accent. I know. We <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, that's true. Me too. You know, he's in Hong Kong, but he's actually from the UK. So this is like an international, international question. Maybe Will's like James Bond and he's doing some stuff in Hong Kong. I think we could create a whole narrative around <laughs> Will's life. I think we should probably stop talking about oh, Will. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> And Will, that's a great question. And I think we've talked about a little bit, just a little bit briefly before on the show, Matt, just at times how our parents have influenced our views of money. And I want to mention that I definitely learned a lot about the value of hard work from my parents. My parents both have worked long hours for a lot of years so that their kids, so that we could have better opportunities. But we didn't really talk about money a whole lot when I was growing up. It was noticeably absent, I would say, from any sort of conversation. It just never came up. There just wasn't much discussed on the subject. And in fact, I kind of learned the hard way about money when my parents filed for bankruptcy when I was 12. And that's had this indelible mark on my life. That's a huge part of the reason that Matt and I do this podcast together is because it changed the whole way that I think about money. And it made me really, really interested in the subject. So I just set to learning a whole lot about personal finances. And so the podcast that you're listening to is largely in existence, at least on my part, because of that experience. So that's the personal part of the question answer for me. Matt, what about you? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm with you, man. Like that is a a massive part of why we have this podcast is because we just, as a culture, we, we don't talk about money enough. And I think we, we don't talk about it enough with our kids as well. Me personally, I mean, I'm with you, Joel. I learned the value of working hard for my folks. My parents, especially my dad, helped me to think through things like from an entrepreneurial standpoint, kind of helped me to take on additional yards and pools. I did a lot of that as a kid. And for me, man, a big lesson I learned by example was that my parents, they were able to retire early. They didn't necessarily retire, I guess. They reached financial independence earlier while I was still in high school. And that's something I was able to see firsthand you're like, dad can watch Sports Center all day now. Like, this man, is awesome. This, this, this is great. <laughs> uh, well, why I didn't stop at retire was that he actually continued to work, but not because he needed to, but because he wanted to. He, he worked with a friend for his company for a while. And then he kind of basically had a volunteer job for years. And so it wasn't that he needed to have those jobs, uh, but it was because he wanted to and he wanted to make sure that he was contributing still and that he wasn't sitting around watching sports <laughs> all day long. And so that was a lesson. That I was able to learn basically by example, which kind of gets at part of your question, Will, which is, you know, we're, we're not going to dive into maybe what we should be teaching yet, but how parents should be teaching. You know, of course, as our kids get older, they'll learn things through books or through curriculum. 
But as parents, teaching our kids through our own behavior and through our own actions can be the most impactful, right? Modeling a, a healthy approach towards money is, is key. And then using words to, to back it up whenever possible is also incredibly important though. Yeah. And quickly, let's talk about what parents should be teaching too. And I think one of the most important things you can do to help your kids understand money well and be wise with their money is to help them think through the value of work and the value of the money that you receive based on the work that you've done. Helping develop a strong connection between understanding that money comes by the work that we do is so helpful. And Matt, we talked about this a little more in depth back in episode 61, teaching kids about money. Nice. But uh, one of the biggest differences that you brought up, I remember, in that show was the difference between work and chores. And that chores are a family responsibility that the kids don't get paid for. And I think that's really helpful because if you can differentiate for your kids, the basic things that they need to do as a part of your family that they don't get paid for, that's just their responsibility. And then also provide them opportunities to do extra things that are called work that make them money and then teaching them how to handle that money well, including saving a good portion of what they make. I think that in conjunction with you modeling behavior well and opening up that conversation with your child. I mean, if you do that, you're really firing on all cylinders. And Will, in regards to what parents should be saving for their kids, like honestly, that's going to be different for everyone. Just know that you have no obligation to save for your your kid's retirement or even their college necessarily, right? If you want to do that, that's kind. Uh, that's incredibly generous. My parents, I'll say, they were able to save money for my college. And because of that, they were able to help me out drastically from a financial standpoint. But you just need to keep in mind that there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all principle for, for all the different kids out there. You need to take your individual child into account and in how you think that they're able to learn these different money lessons. Because honestly, man, I, th- I think there's almost like a balance between being generous with your kids and wanting to give them things and make them happy now. And on the other hand, you also have doing the hard things, which also might mean being maybe less generous. But at the same time, I think for some kids, that's going to mean that they are able to learn that lesson maybe a little more quickly. And each person is going to have to figure out what that sweet spot is for them. Uh, well, not for them, but for their kids specifically. Yeah. I think you know, withholding love and affection and kindness and generosity towards your children is not cool. But I think you know, withholding, giving them money for things, there are a lot of reasons to do that. Right. And instilling certain characteristics in them, helping them learn the value of a dollar. Sometimes the, the more you give them, the more maybe allowance you just pass their way, the, the, the nicer things that you buy them, it degrades their understanding of what money means. And I think there's also a lot of pressure in our society right now that says, oh, I need to be giving my kids all these things and I need to be saving for their future and I need to pay for their college in full. And you don't have that obligation as a parent. Like Matt's parents, if you have that ability and you can still retire when your kids are in high school kind of thing, like you have that sort of financial mindset where you are prioritizing your own financial freedom while prioritizing saving for your kids, I think that's great. But don't put too much pressure on yourself at the same time because some of the best parents out there aren't saving a dime for their kids' education. And I'm one of them, actually. So uh, yeah, you can you can judge me all you want, but I'm not doing it. <laughs> well, real quickly too, I wanted to mention, you said the word allowance. And that's something I wanted to touch on because I think that's a word that we just shouldn't be using with our kids, right? Like there shouldn't be an allowance. There should be payment for jobs. There are responsibilities that children have, like you said, as, as part of the family, but it's, it's never just given to them because they're part of the family, right? Like the, the money part of it. Money is earned, I know personally for us, man, we're, we're never really going to use the word allowance. 
Yep, I'm with you, man. All right, Will, so best of luck to you as you seek to teach your children about money. And we got two more questions coming up, Matt. And after the break, the first question we're going to get to is about a Roth versus a traditional IRA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money i'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans we always like to get the families together matt for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer we've already got that trip to saint simon's on the calendar pumped for that but sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host, or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
All right, we're back. Let's go ahead now and hear that question about IRAs. And this is actually has more to do with taxes. So let's hear it. Hey, guys. My name is Ben calling from San Francisco. I'm a fairly new listener to the show, but I'm definitely enjoying it and going through the backlog of uh, recordings you have. Anyhow, I want to say thanks for making the show, and I had a question for you. So I'm a public sector employee, and uh, because of that, I have to automatically get 11% of my check taken out to go towards my pension. But I'm also contributing 11% uh, through a deferred compensation plan or a 457B. But my income, my AGI is going to be right over that 74K, which is the IRA uh, deductible limit. And so I want to know if there's any point in putting anything into a traditional IRA for me this year, or if I should just put anything else I want to save into a Roth. Appreciate any feedback, comments, and uh, thanks so much. Ben, thanks so much for listening and for submitting a question. And uh, just be careful as you're listening to our earlier episodes. <laughs> Probably not our <laughs> finest work. <laughs> I think we've done a lot of fun stuff, Matt. I think we've done a lot yeah. of good stuff. And, and every time we record, we have a good time. But I think probably our first five, ten episodes, not our best work. We spent a lot of time talking about the beer back in the day. Do you remember that? Yeah, which, way too much. Which is fine if you're really into beer. But if you're not really into beer, you might want to skip the first five to ten minutes of those first ten episodes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben, we're going to answer your question. But for everyone else out there who doesn't know what Ben is exactly asking... Let's go ahead and set it up for y'all. Uh, if you are covered by a retirement plan at work, you can't deduct contributions to an IRA if your income, or technically speaking, if your modified adjusted gross income is over $74,000 if you're filing uh, as a single individual. And so because Ben is over that line, there is no tax benefit of contributing to a traditional IRA. And so because of that, we would recommend that, Ben, that you go with that Roth IRA all the way. Yeah, the only benefit to going into a traditional IRA over a Roth is being able to take a current year tax benefit. And if you don't have access to that current year tax benefit because you make too much, which by the way, Ben, is a good problem to have. Congrats on having high (laughs) income. If you can't take that tax break, then go with the Roth IRA, pay the tax that you would have paid anyway, but then you won't have to pay the tax in retirement when you're withdrawing the money. That's right. On a traditional IRA, you pay no taxes now, but you pay the taxes later. And on a Roth IRA, you pay all your taxes now, but no taxes later. And Matt, we're fans of the Roth anyway. Like We did an episode not too long ago about the beauty of the Roth IRA because it is such a great and flexible retirement vehicle. So Ben, you're not really losing anything by going with the Roth as opposed to the traditional because you know what? We like it better anyway. In fact, this is also great from a tax planning standpoint, right? You can pay tax right now at historically low rates and then just never pay tax on that again. And honestly, what you're able to do is to kind of diversify your your tax burden that you have because you have your work-sponsored retirement account and that's with pre-tax dollars. And so you are already going to be paying taxes on that money in retirement. So honestly, it's nice to diversify a little bit pay some taxes now. And then on the back end, when it comes to your Roth IRA, you won't have to pay any taxes on that. Yeah. And then you've got those two buckets that you can pull from at different times when you're retired. And that's great. So the flexibility of the Roth is greater than that of a traditional IRA. And even if you retire early, it's easy to draw the contributions that you made to your Roth 
with no fees or penalties. And by the way, just in case you don't know who to do business with when it comes to opening up a Roth, well, we strongly recommend the low-cost providers like Vanguard, Fidelity, and M1. And Matt's even written a really great article about M1 up on our site that you can check out. All right, Joel, our last question is from Katie. And she has a question regarding a small business banking account. Hi, guys. My name is Katie, and I'm from Tacoma, Washington. I'm a new listener, but I very much enjoy your show. You do a great job unraveling complicated topics with enthusiasm. I was hoping that you might be able to help me with a complicated topic of my own. I'm in the beginning stages of starting a very small, small business, and I'm looking for a separate bank account to use exclusively for this business. I was wondering, is it better to look at credit unions or some of the larger bank chains for this purpose? Any advice would be appreciated. Thank you again for all your great advice. Katie, thank you so much for the kind words and for submitting a question. And by the way, Tacoma, a lot of my extended family lives there. So I love that part of the country. It's a great spot. And congrats also on starting your own small business. It's not easy, but super rewarding. Yeah. And Katie, you know, you mentioned that uh, you've got a small, small business, but you know what? If you keep working at it before long, it's going to be your full-time gig. And yeah, like Joel said, owning your own business can be totally worth it. And so credit unions aren't a bad place to go if you're looking at, you know, opening that small business accounts, but you definitely don't want to go with a national bank. Instead, oftentimes online banks, they can kind of be the sweet spot for most individual accounts and also for, for small business banking. The only time uh, an online account might sort of fall short is if your small business accepts cash. A lot of the online banks don't have a way that you can deposit cash. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Yeah, Matt, I completely agree. I think credit unions are great to consider, but online banks have come a long, long way. And if you don't need access to depositing cash, I think some of the best perks can be found by choosing an online bank for business. And Matt, from everything I've researched and read, you're actually doing business with the best online bank out there. Axos. Axos, which <laughs> I remember the first time you told me about this bank, it, it used to be called Bank of Internet. Yeah. <laughs> which to me felt like the scammiest name for yeah, a bank ever. The most ratchet online bank name ever. It's yeah. like, we're on the internet and we're a bank. <laughs> so I'm really... Therefore, right. Bank of Internet. <laughs> so I'm really glad that they've changed their name and it's something slightly more professional or it just at least not weird. Yeah, it sounds a little cooler. Yeah, but Axos actually has a free banking option. And on top of that, they actually pay decent rates for small businesses that keep a decent amount of cash sitting in a savings account, which is hard to find, right? Yeah, that's right, man. Totally true. And again, we're saying Axos might be kind of hard to understand. And that's spelled A-X-O-S. If you want to look that up yourself. And a specific credit union to check out would be Navy Federal. They've got branches all across the country. And I actually uh, searched real quick there in Tacoma. And guess what? They've got a branch in Tacoma. Boom. So they're a highly rated national chain credit union. That's definitely worth checking out. And you know they rank really well. And they, they truly do have some of the best perks for small business owners who need a banking option. Yeah. And when it comes to business banking accounts, well, for a lot of years, it's been really, really hard to find a good business bank because most banks charge higher fees for business accounts and they don't care to pay good rates of interest to business account holders. We've mentioned, Matt, on the show, a lot of great online banks that specialize in helping people with personal accounts. There are a lot of great choices there. But in the business account arena, the good choices are just far fewer. 
Yeah, I mean, it took a number of years for banks to start offering some business options with some features that you'd come to expect. And so that's what we would recommend you to do, Katie, is to think through and identify you know, what you want from your business account. For me, it mostly came down to two things. I wanted to not have to pay any maintenance fees. And I also wanted to be able to make mobile check deposits. Those basically were my only criteria. And it took years. Like literally, it was only up until maybe like five years ago where that was even an option where you could make a deposit on a check that was over like a thousand bucks or something like that. And so for you, Katie, just think through, you know, what it is that you're looking for. Like maybe for you, uh, you want to be able to have ATM access to be able to withdraw cash, or maybe you want to be able to, you know, deposit cash if your business accepts cash. And maybe if you're going to consider a business loan down the road as well, that's something to keep in mind. It might be easier to take out a business line of credits with a credit union who offers fantastic rates, obviously, than you would with a, you know, big multinational company. Like, like we're not going to say because we just don't like saying their names. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Matt, my mom always said, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. (laughs) And so maybe we shouldn't talk trash about the big banks. Wise words. (laughs) Yeah, so hopefully that helps, Katie. And we'll put links to a couple of our favorites that we mentioned in the show notes. So that just in case you forgot how to spell Axos or whatever, (laughs) we'll make sure that's a clickable link for you. Matt, all right, it's time for us to get back to the beer that we had on the show today. We drank a beer called Oki by Prairie Artisan Ales, and that was donated to us by our good buddy Abe. What'd you think of that beer, man? Man, before I even uh, drank that beer gave it a little sniff and man, the sort of breadiness that was coming off of that brown ale. Like I felt like I just opened a loaf of bread from the store. I felt like I could smell like those dark brown crusts that I love so much. I'm, I'm one of those weirdos that loves that dark brown top crust uh, that you can peel off of some whole wheat bread. Well, you can come eat a bunch of it off my daughter's <laughs> plate. <laughs> I love it. But man, drinking this brown ale took me back because brown ales were one of my introductions to, to craft beers. I think back to you know, having my first Newcastle. And I'm not at all comparing this beer to Newcastle because this is way better. But I really like this beer. Yeah. No, this is 10 times better than a Newcastle. Not to hate on Newcastle. But this beer is rich. It was smooth. It was boozy sweet. And I think because it was aged in the whiskey barrels and just because it's a well-made beer, I mean, it was delicious. And it's one of those slow sipping brown ales Probably best for a nice little fall or winter night. But you know what? We're drinking it in the middle of the summer and I'm not unhappy about that. Yeah, that's how we do, man. And you mentioned sweet. That's totally a characteristic of this beer. And so if you're having a tough time getting into craft beers because everyone's just trying to you know, make you drink IPAs and they're all bitter or juicy or whatever, and, and you're looking for something that drinks a little more sweet and rich, well, you know, this is the kind of beer that you totally need to get into. And then you can eventually make your way to those bitter IPAs. Yeah, no doubt. All right, Matt. Well, this is a fun episode. Always love tackling listener questions. And we'll tackle more in a couple of weeks. If you want to submit a question to potentially be answered on the show, we would love to hear it. You can do that via our website. Just go to howtomoney.com slash ask. Yeah. And if you enjoyed this episode and or you found it helpful, we would love for you to leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts. So Joel, until next time, best friends out. Best friends out.
Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.